and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about the three pre's in soybeans and just pre-emerge herbicides in general for soybeans. We'll also get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag here in just a little bit. If you have a question for us, just send it in at radio at agphd.com, or you can call us. We will have our phone lines open throughout the show today. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. So I, I want to talk about these three pre's in soybeans to begin the show here just a little bit. And if you don't raise soybeans, please understand a lot of these same exact concepts apply to any crop we're talking about. Okay, so this started back, well, many years ago. I, let me let me take you just through a short walk through history here. So when I go back to the 70s and the very early 80s, all we had at that time for soybeans was really, at least in the Midwestern United States, what we had was Treflan and Sencor. Or there was Lexone. It was the same thing as Sencor. So Anyway, that's Metribuzin. So if you're familiar with Metribuzin, that's Sencor or Lexon. And Treflan is Trifluralin that you can buy today. So yeah, you can't even buy any of those three brands today. You can buy the generics, but not those brands. So that's what we had back then. We used a full rate of Treflan, two pints. We used a full rate of Metribuzin, two-thirds of a pound. And we got really good control on grass and small seeded broadleaves. So we didn't see water hemp. We didn't see a whole lot of red root pigweed. What we did see was a lot of large seeded broadleaves, cocklebur, sunflower, velvet leaf, weeds like that. And those were the ones that we were fighting all the time. Oh, and we did see a lot of black nightshade eventually in soybeans. Okay, so then we got to the early 1980s and Pursuit came out. And actually, probably would have been the mid-80s. But Pursuit came out, and it was, for a lot of people, amazing. It was the greatest thing they'd ever seen. And they started using Pursuit, and that was all they used. Now, Pursuit was an ALS herbicide. And it's just like any brand-new herbicide and a brand-new mode of action. When you use it the first time, it's controlling everything. And you go, wow, I don't need anything other than this. And, of course, with every big company... Well, oh, really, every worse, company in general. It's worse than that, Brian, because then it's, well, it works so good in soybeans. Let's also use it in alfalfa. Let's also use it in corn. Clear field corn, right. Yes. But, but anyway, here's where I was going. With every company out there, why are they in business? Okay. Almost every company is in business to make money. So if they can charge $20 an acre, they're going to charge $20 an acre, even if it only costs them 15 cents to make the product. So they were charging, American Cyanamid was charging around $20 an acre with Pursuit. And so as a farmer, you go, wow, Pursuit's amazing, but it's 20 bucks. I, I can't afford a lot. That's That was the th- big thing I heard. I can't afford much more for herbicides, so I'm just going to go Pursuit. And that worked for about three years. And pretty soon we started seeing resistant weeds all over the place. And then we had a problem. Well, eventually then Roundup Ready Soybeans came out. And we ran that to death, too, just like we did with Pursuit. So now a lot of farmers I talk to go, wow, Roundup doesn't even kill anything. Why would I use it? I'm like, let's let's not go overboard. Just like with Pursuit, let's not go overboard. Pursuit still kills a lot of weeds, like black nightshade. Roundup still kills a lot of weeds, like annual grasses. So there, these products still have a use. But the reason why we're talking about 
these pre-emerge herbicides so much now in soybeans is, let's face it, I mean, the, the dicamba thing was a disaster when that came out about three years, three or four years ago, and we had all these drift and volatility issues everywhere, and there are still a lot of people trying to use that, and it's fine if you use it just right. But here's the thing. We don't want to run that into the ground. We don't want to run Enlist into the ground. We don't want to run Liberty into the ground. So what we always talk about here in the show is use multiple modes of action that are effective on the weeds you're after. It doesn't do you any good to throw three modes of action out there when only one kills the weeds you're targeting. So for example, if you're after water hemp and you throw an ALS herbicide out and you throw atrazine out, and in some cases you throw an HPPD out, um, none of those might kill the weed. So we gotta we we gotta talk about products that will actually kill the weeds we're after. So with soybeans, yes, there are a lot of herbicides that are labeled in soybeans, both pre and post, and there are a lot of really good ones. Okay, but what we will talk to you about almost all the time, and our three pre's that we will typically recommend are going to be one of the yellows, Metribuzin, and then a PPO, either Valor or Authority. So let me explain that a little bit. We like having the yellow in there. Trifluralin is what you would use because it's super cheap. I mean, like four bucks for a pint and a half. And by the way, we use a pint and a half because we worry about carryover. Back in, I'm going to call them the old days, in the 70s, we had no other herbicides. So we had to do stuff that literally would hurt the corn the next year just because the weeds were so bad in our beans. We don't have to do that anymore. So just use a pint and a half of Treflan, or now Trifluralin, costs four bucks. That's it. But you got to incorporate it right away. If you say, well, I'm not going to incorporate right away, well, then use Prowl. Now, the full rate of Prowl is about 13 bucks. The equivalent to a pint and a half is a, of trifluralin is going to cost you about nine or 10 bucks. All right, so it is a little bit more expensive, but it, it can be used in no-till or strip-till. Then we talk metribuzin. I was telling you earlier, we used to use two-thirds of a pound. Now we typically say one-third of a pound on the same acres. And the reason why is because we worry about a person having high pH spots. If you have a high pH spot, in those high pH spots, metribuzin is more active. Okay, metribuzin is in the same chemical family as atrazine, and atrazine works the same way. If you have high pH, you cut back the rate of atrazine. Well, in beans, if you have high pH, you cut back the rate of metribuzin. So we talk a third of a pound is kind of the standard rate, and a sixth of a pound for the guys that are, are in high pH. And then you get over to the PPOs, either Valor or Authority. We love those herbicides. They're amazing. And they're great on a lot of different broadleaves, especially the small seeded broadleaves. So by the time I get said and done, if I've got a yellow that's pretty good on water hemp, I got metribuzin that's really good on water hemp, and I got a PPO, either Valor or Authority, that's great on water hemp, I've got three effective modes of action there pre-emerge for in the range of 10 to $20 an acre. And yes, it can be as cheap as 10 bucks an acre. So anyway, those products we commonly talk about, and there are others as well we'll get to today. If you've got any questions for us, again, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll talk more pre's and soybeans right after this. Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Nozzles are your ideal choice for the Enlist E3 herbicide system. With coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90% less drift, ULD nozzles meet all required standards for Enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. 
This is Quick Dick McDick from Tufnell asking you, have you heard of Mandaco Land Rollers? They're the ones with the green paint, and I'm not talking about the green paint that requires a technician and a laptop to fix. I'm talking about the Mandaco green paint that doesn't need fixing because it's built tough. We're talking 5 8 thick, 42-inch diameter drums, people, and I've learned never to talk about size unless you can back it up when a measuring tape gets pulled out. So keep your seed and rocks in the ground where they belong and get yourself a roller at mandaco.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle, and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio and today we're talking pre-emerge herbicides in soybeans. We're going to go to the phone lines right now. we got Tim Dahl calling in from Minnesota. He is with Syngenta. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thanks for asking. All right. So at Syngenta, you guys have a lot of herbicides. It sometimes feels to me like you have a million different products um, <laughs> and many are labeled for soybeans. So let's talk about Minnesota specifically. What are the top two or three Syngenta products you're talking to farmers about in Minnesota? Sure. Well, we, we've, whenever you, you all and, and we discuss pre's, I love your message on three pre's, right? Having three um, effective modes of action. And we're not quite there with our premixes yet, but if uh, you've been at one of our Grow More events and if you, you attend uh, uh, one of those, you'll see um, that concept really come into light. But in Minnesota, our number one go-to product to get multiple effective sites of action out there would be Boundary. And I know you all are big supporters of, uh, you know, Metribuzin. Uh, it's been around for quite a while. And uh, but again, very effective, and that's a, a premix with um, with uh, Esmetolic or the dual brand. Uh, one of the other things uh, that has really opened up in in the last couple of years with the advent of the you know Oxen Post and Liberty uh, Post beans prefix um, in, in Minnesota. I know you know depending on where you're at um, in in parts of the state, we really need to watch the label. But that has really gained traction because we're not saving that flex star for that post pass, you know, it fits into your three pre uh, message as well. Um, if we obviously had added another site of action, but um, we're not saving that flex star for the post pass. So it's very effective PPO on the ground. You know, I'm glad you brought up prefix because I often forget about it as well because I get so focused on the products that can just be used pre. But the nice thing with the prefix is if your beans happen to pop up, and I can't tell you how many guys that has happened to over the years, I often will say, hey, these, these strictly pre products, they are the most returned products in our industry. I know 
know in the Midwestern United States, the average is close to 40% returns with a lot of the straight pre's because the beans, sometimes they pop up in two days. And well, what do you do? Well, with prefix, at least it's got the active ingredients that you'll find in dual and flex start. You could use that early post if you want to. Yep, absolutely. And and that's a really good message. If you didn't get a pre-down, obviously, and and use the prefix really early, um, you know, we, we can extend that season. And as long as we layer another, um, you know, site of action for residual with that post pass, you know, we can really get that, that season long uh, weed control, especially, you know, with the small seeded broadleaf. So, yeah, and that is one thing that I will bring up to guys. Okay, if you want to start with Boundary, it's got Metribuse and a Dual, you can absolutely follow early post with Preflex, get yourself a little more Dual to you know give you even more residual, and then Flexstar too. So now you've been able to get three different modes of action out there in total. All three have residual, and we're going to be in really good shape because I know a lot of people are still thinking, oh, Dicamba is going to save me or, or Liberty or... 2,4-D is going to save me. Well, those products don't have great residual, and weeds seem to keep coming up all the time in soybeans, so I think having a residual product out there is really important and several with that are effective. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not even going to add on to that. I couldn't have said it any different. <laughs> All right. Um, hey, there is one other quick question, and I realize, and I apologize because this is off the topic of pre's, but post-emerge, I'm concerned coming out of last fall, as dry as the corn was, that we're going to see a lot of volunteer corn this year, and a lot of guys will ask me, okay, if I'm going to use some fusillade like to kill volunteer corn, should I spray it on my first pass or on my second pass? And I often go, how about both passes? It's inexpensive, but we know volunteer corn robs a lot of yield. So can you talk to us real quick about fusillade on volunteer corn and why that's effective and, and, and basically how to make it the most effective as possible? Yeah, I, I, I like what you said. Um, uh, you know, fusillade is extremely economical, especially when you're spraying it alone and you're just going after small corn. We can, you know, we don't want to chisel on race, but we can use a pretty low rate of fusillade when we're using that product alone and get really, really good control. The the issues that we see is when the corn starts getting big, it, it, like you said, with dry corn, we're not going to have clumps, but in the case there's a clump of corn, things get bigger, and then we're starting to mix it with those oxens. We start to see that performance uh, drop, so then we need to start upping the rates and we lose lose control. So um we we have a little little saying with with dicamba you know plus to add two more ounces when we start talking about enlist technology we need to go more than that so um to make it economical i like your your thought of uh uh two passes or again spraying it separate is, is the most economical all right we've been talking with tim Dahl with syngenta tim hey thanks a lot for the time today really appreciate it uh thank you very much you everybody bet. take care and have a safe spring yeah thanks a lot all right, we're going to go now to our friend Trevor Dale. He is with Valent. Hey, Trevor, how are you today? Doing very good. How are you, Brian? Excellent. So, uh, Trevor, I'm just going to tell our listeners, I've gotten uh, multiple emails from you here recently. Uh, we've talked about Perpetual with you. Uh, but, I, I mean, I want to come back to your pre-emerge herbicides like Fierce and Valor. I, I mean, we talk about those all the time. They're part of a good, in our opinion, pre-emerge strategy. So is there anything new and different you're talking to growers about this year when it comes to the pre's? 
Well, um, I, I guess one of the biggest things that I've uh, been talking about is, uh, you know, the post products, as you mentioned, they most of them don't have much residual, and sometimes they can be um, good or bad, depending on the weather or, <laughs> or whatever else is going on. Yep. Um, I guess there's variability in the performance. Uh, now is the time to use the very best pre-emerge program you can. Um, whether you build your own three pre, like you guys recommend, Valor, Trefline, Metribuzin, something like that, or we have Fierce MTZ, where we have three pre's all in one liquid formulation. So it's pretty convenient to get there that way. Um, but really, really, I always say this, do whatever we can do to keep the water hemp specifically or Palmer amaranth from coming out of the ground. Yep, I agree 100%. And I'm glad you brought up Fierce MTZ. I, I I mean, we've talked about Fierce for so many years, and then I kind of forget, oh, yeah, there's Fierce MTZ now as well. And that is great because you got the active ingredients found in Zidua, so Group 15. You got Valor, PPO, and you got Metribuzin. So, yeah, it's awesome. I, I, I really like that. And there's Fierce if you don't want the Metribuzin or you're worried you're in sand or something like that, or there's the straight Valor. Uh so how about rebates? The last few years, you guys have been tied in with Bayer and their different rebate programs. It changed a little bit this year, though. And so the dry valor, you lowered the price and cut the rebate. Can you talk to us about that and then the other products that are still in the rebate program? Yeah. So there's, uh, I mean, most of our products are in Bayer Plus, um, and it has changed some and that we're... Uh, and, add-on partner or something. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but a partner product. <laughs> yep. And where you get uh, basically $3 an acre is the way I look at it. There's $2 on the, say, Fierce, for example, and then another dollar if you're using Roundup PowerMax. So in, in most cases, it's going to be $3 an acre um, in cash rebates. Um, and then, like you said, like you mentioned, Valor SX, the Dry Valor, and a couple of our products like Perpetuo and, and Resource are not part of the program. And um, it's just some flexibility to really fit any sort of program that a farmer might be running in. Yeah, and the great thing is you've got all these different modes of action that you can have, but... When we look at the soybean price today, and I saw the soybean soybean market went up again today, when I look at that and new crop beans, yeah. I go, man, I can have the Cadillac program. I can have the premier program, the best thing I could possibly come up with for a pre-emerge plan, and it's only going to cost me the equivalent of a bushel or a bushel and a half of soybeans on new crop beans. I mean, we know that weeds can hurt us way more than a bushel or a bushel and a half. Well, we've been talking to Trevor Dale Absolutely. with Valent. Trevor, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, we'll talk a little bit more about weed control in soybeans, and then we're going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. With stronger bean prices ahead, don't let white mold reduce your yield and profits again this year. Contans WG reduces sclerotia in your fields, eliminating white mold at the source. White mold was a major problem in 2019, costing soybean farmers valuable yield potential. 
As you rotate back into those white mold infected areas this spring, protect yourself by applying Contans. Clean your soils and return lost yield potential to every soybean you plant with Contans WG. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice, with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. High-yield growers know that bringing in big bushels means establishing excellent emergence. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. The Germinator Spike design excels in variable soils and eliminates sidewall compaction. But what makes the Germinator unique is its inner rim shoulder firmer, which encases the seed with soil, maximizing seed to soil contact. It's not just any closing wheel. Reach your yield potential at farmshopmfg.com. Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist weed control system, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Whether or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy-to-tank mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today. If you've got a question for us, just give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. We've been talking about pre-emerge herbicides in soybeans. Now, there's one other thing that I wanted to get to. I already talked earlier about our three pre-recommendations. A lot of times guys will ask us, hey, can I substitute the group 15 for a yellow? And we talked with both Tim Dahl with Syngenta and Trevor Dale with Valent. And both of those companies have Group 15 products that can be used pre-emerge. And they're just fine. They work fine uh, instead of using the yellow. Now, you could use them in addition to a yellow. I think that might be a little bit overkill, number one. But what I will usually say to guys is, look, if you want to use the Group 15 pre, that's fine. A lot of times what we'll do, if let's say we've got a weed disaster, now, I'm talking super weedy, and you go, look, I got to have great control. Or let's say you're in conventional soybeans where you don't have 2,4-D or Dicamba or Liberty or Roundup as a post option. Here's what I would tell you to do. 
I would use three pre's and I would use a yellow pre, but then I would use a group 15 along with something like Flexstar or Cadet early post. So now I've got five different products, four different modes of action, and I'm going to get that water hemp. I'm going to get that lamb's quarters, the kochia, all these really tough weeds. We've got a plan. But if you have this weedy field and you plant your beans and then the beans pop up and you didn't get anything on, all of a sudden you can no longer use Valor Authority. You can no longer use Metribuzin. You can no longer use a yellow. And we start knocking off all these good, cheap options from the table. And now you're left with higher priced options that aren't as good post-emerge. So I'm just saying, and even by the way, when you think about 2,4-D in list, or you think about Dicamba, like Extendflex or, or uh, Extendamax, I should say, Extendamax, or Ingenia, how much do those products cost? Well, they're close to nine bucks an acre. Well, for $9 an acre, I can get two different pre-emerge herbicides that are going to be better and they're going to have more residual. So I'm just trying to say, when you stop and think about before the season, how can I get by as cheap as possible to get the best weed control possible to give me the most return and have the most total yield? It's going to start with a pre before those beans emerge. So whether you put it on before you plant or after you plant, it's got to be before those beans emerge because there are so many good products that as soon as those beans are up, you can't use them anymore. So all I'm saying here is I just want you to think about that a little bit. And I know because we farm too, we farm about 3,200 crop acres. We're pushing, and believe me, I'm pushing harder than almost anybody else. It's like I want that stuff in the ground immediately. I don't care what the temperature is. And guys are our guys are saying, well, it's cold out there. It's 28 degrees this morning. I'm like, I don't care. We're planting. So I know what it's like, and I know how you, you get behind on – spraying pre-emerge herbicides because you want to get the seed in the ground. But what I'm trying to say here is the pre-emerge herbicides for soybeans are so unbelievably important. With corn, almost all the pre's, other than anything that contains sharpen, almost all the pre's in corn could be used early post and it doesn't hurt you that much. Unfortunately, with soybeans, it is not that way. The best pre's can only be used pre. As soon as those beans come up, you can't spray them anymore. And then you got to go with these more expensive options. You're going to have less yield. You're going to have more weeds. You're, you're going to have more crop injury. It's just not a good situation. So I would just really encourage you, I know, do whatever you want to do on the corn, but on the beans, get the pre-emerge herbicides out there probably even before you plant so you know for sure they're on the field. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. Mailbag time. Questions. Answers. Brian, Darren, mailbag time. Yeah. Mailbag. I knew that last <laughs> mailbag was coming, so I was just going to wait. All right, first one comes from Scott, and he said, I'm in Nebraska. I'm going to no-till plant corn into a stand of native grass in alfalfa. I want to use 48 ounces of Roundup and 10 ounces of Diflex to try to burn it down. Ooh. Are these temperatures just too cold for these herbicides to work? What did he say he's trying to kill? Native grass Yep. and alfalfa. Oh, I see why he's talking about the dicamba. Okay, I'm just writing this down so I got it all. All right, all right. so here's my problem. As soon as you put the dicamba with the Roundup, your 48 ounces of Roundup becomes 32, maybe 40. But 
Dicamba absolutely, without question, antagonizes that roundup. So it's hurting your performance rather than helping. And when I look at the high temperatures being low 50s and the low temperatures being freezing or less, um, you can't spray. You just can't, unfortunately can't spray. You've got to wait until that weather warms up. Ideally, what we're looking for is we want the nighttime temps over 50 and the daytime temps over 70. That would be ideal. And then you can use what I would call normal rates. If your temperatures are at least above freezing every single night, you can still spray. But when your temperatures are going to drop below freezing, you just don't want to do it because in a lot of cases, it's going to be a waste of money. We have, And I'll put it to you this way. A lot of the things we talk about on the show are previous mistakes that either we've made or farmers we've worked with have made. A lot of times it's mistakes we've made, okay? So I'll just tell you, I've made this mistake personally and spent money on dicamba and Roundup and it didn't work. And so I'm trying to hopefully save you from wasting the money like we did on our farm. Don't spray. Wait for the weather to warm up. Oh, I, I, I should throw one other thing too. You don't have to throw the dicamba in there if you don't want to. Alfalfa, as long as it's not Roundup Ready alfalfa, alfalfa will be controlled by Roundup, but it's going to take at least two quarts. So if you're willing to do that, I, I mean, that is an option, but you got to wait for that weather to warm up. Both Roundup and dicamba need warmer weather. All right, thanks for the question. Got this from James, and he was... Uh, listening to us talk about moldboard plowing and talk about why you might do that, why you might do no-till. And he said, I just wanted to point out, and this is a long email that I'm summarizing here, that no-till doesn't guarantee good water infiltration. In addition to doing some tillage, what else have you seen that could help a farmer improve water infiltration in his soil? Okay, so in terms of water infiltration, the first thing that we look at is do you have drainage down below? So the reason why is if you don't have drainage down below, and I'm talking about either tile or just soil that's porous enough so the water gets away, what happens a lot of times is salts and sodium will wick to the soil surface. And when, and when, when water has to evaporate, and leave the field. So when that happens and salts and sodium are brought up, that helps seal your ground up more. So the first thing is tile. The second thing is soil organic matter. If you can build your soil organic matter over time, that's a really good thing for water infiltration. The third thing is calcium levels. You want your calcium levels for sure above 65%. If you run a soil test and your base saturation of calcium says below 65, you got to change that, and you need to change it now, in our opinion, as agronomists. And for water infiltration, that will make things better as well because high levels of calcium, keep in mind, calcium is big compared to things like magnesium and sodium and some of these other nutrients that are out there. So it creates more pore space in your soil when you have good levels of calcium. Um, beyond that, it's trying to reduce compaction. Um, you know, I can, I can come up with a number of other things. Yeah, there's, Having there's some a bunch residue of things out, out there. there and, yes. and honestly, whether you're no-till or conventional till, you can get good water infiltration. Yes. There's some no-tillers yes. that have fantastic infiltration, but yep. it's not the only thing. It's not like, oh, if you go no-till, it's going to be automatic. 
Nope, it's not. If you haven't dealt with your compaction, you're still going to have a problem. As you can tell, Darren's struggling with a cold today. So I said, Darren, that's fine. I'll, I'll talk most of the show. All right, all right. This one <laughs> comes from Doug, and he said, more of a comment than anything here, guys. You were talking about drainage tile, and uh, I've got to comment on some legal documentation. Sure. One suggestion that I've learned is to record any legal documents regarding drainage with the PIN number at the county recorder's office. I've also recorded my tile drainage maps so future generations will have access. That's a good thing, Doug. Yeah, it's nice to nice to do because you never know if something ever happened to you and you were the only person that knew about where those lines were, but it sure helped the next guy out to do that. Well, let's put it this way. Time flies. I mean, all of a sudden, there goes 20 years. And you know, how many times on your farm, if your grandpa put in tile, are you saying, man, I wish I would have asked, where is that tile exactly? Yeah, absolutely. So yes, we're in agreement. And and uh, yeah, those guys a lot of times can still remember where they put stuff in a long time ago, but you got to write it down. We'll be right back with more of your questions after this. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farm your way. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite Genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. 
Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. We've been talking about pre-emerge herbicides in soybeans, and we're going to get back, by the way, to the Ag PhD mailbag here in just a minute. But um, I, I wanted to have Trevor Dale back on real quick. He, After he got off uh, with us earlier, then he sent me a text saying, um, hey, don't forget, he said, I forgot to mention you don't have to worry about carryover in dry conditions. And I just wanted, uh, Trevor, for you to explain that a little bit. What what do you mean by that in terms of you don't have to worry about carryover in dry conditions? Well, uh, thanks for having me back again, Brian. I, I guess that's particular with uh, Valor, um, well, Valor Easy and Valor SX and Fierce Herbicide or Fierce Easy. Um, does not include like fierce XLT. Oh. Um, okay, so here let me step back for just one second. This and I'm glad you brought up fierce XLT. We ju- yeah. we just had a question come in from Matt who says, "What's the difference between fierce MTZ and fierce XLT?" And Matt, I would just say the only difference there is the MTZ has metribuzin that doesn't last very long in the soil. But to your point, Trevor. Fierce XLT, that's got Classic in there, or the active ingredient from Classic. So Fierce by itself is the active ingredients found in Zidua and Valor. Okay, so those are great. We aren't worried about carryover with those, aren't worried about it with Metribuzin. But with the Fierce XLT and you go Zidua, uh, Valor, and now you've got Classic, we do worry about Classic lasting a long time, especially in high soil pHs. So we don't uh, really talk Fierce XLT in the northern part of the United States here. But as you go south, there are a lot of people that like that Classic active ingredient. So anyway, I, I understand now what you're talking about, Trevor. Yeah. It's basically Valor. You don't have to worry about carryover. And I, I was bringing up to Darren during our commercial break. I ran the numbers this morning. Uh, Trevor, do you know how much total precip we've had on our farm since July 7th last year? How many inches would you guess we've had in total in over nine months? Oh boy, this is a shot in the dark. <laughs> I know it's been dry, but uh, five, six inches. I we, don't. We, we've had eight. We've had eight, so eight, a little bit okay. more. You know, yeah. and I realize we have people who are going to listen, and they're going to say, "Well, we get eight inches of rain a month," and others are going to say, "Well, we normally get eight inches a year." Well, here we get twenty-two yeah. to maybe twenty-four in a year on average. Okay, we're at eight in over nine months, so it is abnormally dry. We've been in the severe drought area, but we have lucked out here in the last couple of weeks. We've gotten probably three inches of rain in the last three weeks, maybe. So we've gotten a bunch of this rain lately. But yes, I'm very concerned about carryover. Uh, I mean, if you sprayed, let's say it was Flexstar late last year, you sprayed an HPPD herbicide late last year. I mean, there are many of these herbicides, they last a long time. And when it's dry, they're just going to last that much longer. Longer. That's right. All right. Uh, That's right. So that was one thing I missed earlier and um, felt like I wanted to get it out. So, (laughs) yes, I agree with you 100%. Thank you for having me back. You bet. Thanks, Trevor. Yeah, that whole carryover thing, it is a potential issue this year. And now I'm going to take this one step further. If we were talking the other day about North Dakota, that like two thirds of the state of North Dakota is in the extreme drought region now, not severe drought, extreme drought. Okay. Think about North Dakota. I realize the, the, well, anyway, 
when when you when you look at North Dakota and where it sits in the United States, it's right up on the Canadian border. It's cold, and now it's dry. So if you've got cold and dry, that's that's the worst possible scenario for herbicide carryover. So we're not saying everything is going to carry over, but we are saying be a little bit cautious with what you're doing and use some common sense. Oh, I'll throw one last quick story in. There were these three brothers that I used to do a lot of work with, uh, and I helped them for many years, and they were they were characters. A- anyway, they owned tons of ground. And one year they came in uh, to my office and they go, yeah, our renter last year killed a whole bunch of his sunflowers. And I go, well, how'd he do that? And he goes, well, he rented ground from us and he never asked us what we'd use the year before. Well, we'd use scepter and they used it at a double rate. I mean, it would have killed sunflowers for like three or four years. And they, the guy never said, oh, I want to plant sunflowers. He just rented the ground from them, planted sunflowers. They all died. I And I don't remember what he ended up, what, what the guy ended up replanting in there. But anyway, the point was, make sure you ask questions if you're renting ground, even about what got done two years before, because if it's the wrong herbicide and you put the wrong crop in there, you got a dead crop. And that's the last thing you want to have happen. All right. Let's get back to the Ag PhD mailbag. All right. Get this one from Tony. And he said, I've got a I've got a challenge here for you guys. I I purchased five acres of land in a city over a year ago, and I was not aware of how our property holds water. It's tabletop flat, and there's apparently an old clay tile that I've drawn a yellow line in the backyard there. And then on this other picture where I've drawn some little dash yellow lines there are spots where there there are holes in the yard we see what looks about like uh you're flushing a toilet over those areas i got it when uh it rains and i'm just wondering if the tile has collapsed and what you would do if you had that situation okay so if it was me i would go replace the tile i'd take our tile plow out and i would just plow in a new line Now, that's what I would do. You could also go and you could try to crush down that that old clay tile line and fill it all in if you would like to. It's up to you, whatever you want to do on your land. But, yeah, the old clay tile, it's only going to last so many years, especially if there are, uh, let's say, heavily compacted spots. You're running equipment over it that's way too heavy and, you know, you somehow got down, stuck in the oh, mud, okay. and now you're close to the tie line and you crush it that way. A lot of things can happen. Here's the Go other ahead. thing. That's, this tie line runs to a pond, but it also runs through some other yards. So to completely replace the line, that may not be possible as the other yards may have well, sprinkler systems and those types of things in place, but you may have to just dig in with a backhoe and fix those spots at least. Okay, so if it was me, what I would do is I would talk to the neighbors and I would bring them to these spots and I would show them, um, here's what it appears to me is happening. We've got this old clay tile that's falling apart. Well, the same thing's going to end up happening in your yard. And I don't know exactly what to do here. And maybe you can all work together on just replacing the tile. It's not that expensive to run a new tile line through because we're probably not talking a lot of grand total feet. But uh, yeah, it's it it stinks that this is happening for you. I mean, you can certainly go out and try to patch those spots up. But Old clay tile, like I say, is only going to last so long. So those, in my opinion, are your options. Fill it in, uh, 
replace the whole thing or just try to replace those certain spots where you're having problems. All right. Thanks for the question and good luck. This comes from Tim in Maryland. He said, I've been enjoying your information over the years, but I've got a question. It seems like all the shows that I see, including yours, that are from the Midwest are mainly doing conventional till. I don't see a whole lot of no-tilling. I'm just wondering, does no-till not work in the Midwest? It looks like a lot of the crop fields are left tilled over the winter, which wouldn't be good for soil conservation uh, like we do on the East Coast. Just curious uh, how things are done. Okay. So there is a lot of no-till and a lot of strip-till that is done in the Midwestern United States. The reason why people don't go to no-till as much in this geography is because the soil doesn't warm up very fast, number one. And number two, because of our very short growing season and the very heavy soil, nutrients don't move down very well. So if you can place the nutrients down in the ground, it's safer for the environment, it's better for the crop, and it's a much more efficient way to use the fertilizer dollars. So that's the reason why strip-till is as popular as it is. But I just remember being from South Dakota, this is always a, a dry state, always considered a very dry state. Now it's changed a little bit in part because our crops have changed. I mean, we have corn and soybeans now as opposed to all these small grains that used to be raised here. So it seems to us like we're, we have a lot more humidity in the summertime because of all the crops we're now raising. But anyway, my point is, I just remember back in the 1980s and there were all these people really struggling with, hey, we're just so short on moisture all the time. And a lot of people switched to no-till and they said, man, this has changed my farm. Um, I don't have to do crop fallow anymore I, or chem fallow. I, I, you know, I can raise a crop every year. I'm going no-till. So that is absolutely great. And the guys that are working the ground, I mean, they also figure, hey, we're going to get all kinds of snow in the winter to cover our soil. So that's part of the reason why they work the ground in the fall. You never know when you can get in the, in the spring if you haven't worked that ground. We'll get to more of your questions next. When it comes to trusted herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. And you certainly know New Farm exclusive Weedmaster. For decades, Weedmaster has been the go-to herbicide for consistent burndown weed control in a huge variety of crops, and in range and pasture management too. Don't let yield-robbing weeds stand in the way of your progress or profits. New Farm and Weedmaster Herbicide, here to help. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. 
I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Introducing the next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Introducing Wide R Match from Corteva Agriscient. It's not a typo. It's an upgrade. The AR stands for Arlax Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds and wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. We are right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag. And we're going to get back to your questions right now. Again, if you've got a question for us, just email us, radio at agphd.com. Okay, so Darren got this one in. It says, and I'm just going to read this, soil temps greatly influence the rate in which nutrients are released in the soil. Uh, For zinc, availability is five times less at 50 degrees than 65 degrees. And this had come in from an agronomist, and he says this is one one more reason I harp on soil temps for corn planting. Especially if you don't use starter, zinc can absolutely influence the number of rows around. Okay, so first of all, I don't know, I've never seen anything saying zinc is five times less available at 50 degrees and 65 degrees, but I'll put it this way. Where we farm, by the time the soil gets to an average temperature of 65 degrees, it's going to be June. Um, We have no choice if we want higher yields to plant in April. I mean, you could possibly plant very early May and still end up with good yields, but I mean, there's been research out for decades now, and we're able to get really good yields even when we plant early. But I will say this. We do talk about zinc quite often, and we talk about having zinc in ratio with phosphorus. And a lot of times we're talking about, you know what, like even on our farm, I want 10 parts per million of zinc. Not one or two. I want 10. Now, maybe that plays into exactly what he's talking about here, that you got to get more zinc out there in that field somehow, some way, plus the fact that we do use starter fertilizer. So anyway, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in, hey, if you're going to plant your corn early, you got to do some extra things. you got to use a little bit of pop-up fertilizer, you got to use a little bit of fungicide, a little bit of insecticide, and then have a really great seed treatment package. You do those things, and you can plant super early. And I'm, I wasn't kidding earlier when I said it was 28 degrees this morning, and guess what we're doing today? Planting corn. I don't care. doesn't bother me. I'm perfectly fine that that soil temp is probably going to be in the mid to upper 30s here quite often over the course of the next week, it's going to be fine. But we've got like 70 seed treatments on that seed. We got inferro fertilizer, insecticide, and fungicide. And believe me, we will get a great stand. But if you don't want to do some of those extra things, yes, we absolutely encourage people to wait until that soil is a little warmer. 
All right. I appreciate that. Uh, this one comes from Dan. He's an agronomist in eastern Washington. He said, I was listening to a podcast you did last month, and I heard somebody talk about putting manure over the top of corn. Just wanted you to know we do that successfully over our grain corn. We ran a second hose over our pivots hooked to big guns on each tower, and we pump straight from the lagoon onto the field, both pre-plant and in-season after the corn past the V3 stage. It's the only nutrition that our cornfields get. Yeah, and they're putting it on with a pivot, though. This was actually getting drug across, and what crop were we even talking about? What crop was that, Darren? We just discussed this. Alfalfa. Wasn't it alfalfa? It was alfalfa or wheat. I don't remember. Oh, yeah, you might be right. Maybe it was wheat. We we literally just talked about this like yesterday or the day before. So I'm going to have to go back to my notes. But anyway, we love manure. We just have to always be concerned about the nutrients and how they're getting used, how everything's getting applied. So a lot goes into it. And I think for many of us, we have manure management plans. we got to make sure that we're following regulations and all that kind of stuff. So just be careful. Ask questions however you're putting manure on on your farm. All right, here's one more manure question. This comes from HP. Hi, thank you for another great episode. i got a question regarding manure. One potential drawback that comes to mind is the germs and manure. We grow walnut trees, and that's a concern for us. Sometimes people suggest hmm. burning the manure before putting it on a field to get rid of germs. What are your thoughts? How, how could we take care of any pathogens in the manure? Compost it. I'd absolutely have compost piles. Yeah, that's going to preserve the nutrient content that's yes. in there and yes, and take care of a lot of the pathogens. Yep. And yeah, and weed seeds. But there may be some specific requirements too, if you're growing a food crop beyond that. I guess we don't yeah. know all nope. of those and we nope. don't know any local things. No, nope. but may the be, first but... thing, if you just, as a general statement, say, hey, I want to have fewer pathogens in my manure, just compost it. And and there are ways you can do it. We, we've talked about a product called Decomp that we've used personally to uh, help speed the process significantly when composting manure. Uh, but however you do it, I just look at composting. That hopefully will help you. All right. Thanks for that. Uh, this comes from Dylan, and he's in Arkansas. He said, we talk a lot about micros and parts per million we're shooting for on a DTPA test. Uh, he, send it, he sent us some Malik 3 extraction tests and is just wondering what what we would do with the high iron and high manganese levels. Also wondering where we would start on fertility management in these fields for rice and soybeans. Okay, I don't worry about high iron, number one. But number two, with high iron, it could actually be whatever you use to sample the soil. So if there's some tool you use that's rusty, for example, that could be causing the high iron, maybe even the manganese too, a little bit. But with the manganese, your levels aren't that high. You've got 150 parts per million, 120 parts per million, that's fine. Over in Europe, there are a lot of people that have three, 400 parts per million where they're raising tremendously high wheat yields. So you're okay. The, the biggest uh, three that I would look at on your particular tests is boron 0.3 parts per million, copper 1 part per million, zinc 4.3 parts per million, all those, well, especially the boron and the copper, they're really low. Copper doesn't really move much in soil, so you just need to get that level up once, and then you should be able to maintain fairly well. But the problem with many of the nutrients that get applied, whether it's boron or sulfur or nitrogen, in your light soil, it's 10 to 12 CEC, it's not going to stick around a long time. 
So what I'm saying here is you got to make sure you're putting sulfur and boron on that field every year and nitrogen, obviously, when you have crops that need nitrogen. Uh, oh, and by the way, your potassium levels are really low. You're down to, let's see, 2% base saturation K and only there's one test as low as 78 parts per million. So you're really, really low on potassium. As, as we go south in the United States and you have more rain and heat and, and everything and light soils, we're going to tell you, you know, probably spoon feed the potassium a little bit too. I'd put a lot on up front, but an in-season application of potassium certainly would not hurt. All right. Thanks for the question. And uh, I got one here from George in West Virginia. I said, I'm an amateur young farmer from West Virginia, still trying to figure the soil test thing out. Any help, advice, or opinions would be great. Okay. So our first piece of advice is get a complete soil test. What we have here is N, P, and K. Uh, and calcium actually, and magnesium. Actually, I don't even have nitrogen. All I have is P, K, calcium, and magnesium. That's not enough. We need to know soil pH. Oh, yeah, I do have soil pH. Okay, so I at least got soil pH. But I'd like to see base saturation. I'd like to see the micronutrients, sulfur. There are a lot of other things, sodium, you name it. Anyway, I, I'll just put it this way. Your levels are really, 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 really low on phosphorus. Uh, the highest number we got is 25 parts per million on phosphorus. And you're even lower on potassium. Your highest number there is 37. So, yeah, it's just you, you need a lot of fertilizer. That's, that, that's, that's my number one thing. If you have specific questions in the future, let us know. But we would really like to see you get a complete soil test. And then we can give you a lot better advice. Oh, there is one last thing. The magnesium here that he's got too, Darren, is really low. In fact, I don't know if I've ever seen magnesium levels this low. Uh, 47 parts per million, 20, part, 20 parts per million. We have a lot of soils that have 1,000 parts per million. So 20 parts per million is really low. So, yeah, you need a lot of everything, unfortunately. So, um Sorry about that, that everything looks really low for us, uh, but it, you just, you're going to have to put a lot of fertilizer out there. All right. A uh, question from Nathan. He said, I have too much calcium in my soil. How can I lower it? Um, okay. You can't really, other than taking, uh, other than raising crops that pull lots of calcium out and the, to say that there's too much calcium, it you don't have. Uh, uh, let me just say this, uh, and hear me out. You don't have too much calcium. What you do have is not enough of all the other nutrients to be in balance. So if there's way too much calcium in relation to magnesium and potassium and sodium, then put those things on. If there's too much calcium in relation to sulfur and to nitrogen and to micronutrients. Put those other nutrients on. And over time, you're going to see, oh, okay, now I got things in balance. I'm raising tremendous crops. So I wouldn't look at it as a bad thing. I'd look at it as a good thing to say, great, I got lots of calcium. That's the number one nutrient that my crop needs and my soil needs, especially. Now I just need to get add everything else. All right. Well, thanks for the question, Nathan. We appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.